Hello, hello. You're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education, a regular podcast where I explore the world of the Irish primary education system and tell you what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. This is Simon Lewis here with a trip around the first half of February. In this episode, I will be exploring the SCT allocations and the aftermath of that. I'll be looking at how schools are being uh, gifted to private bodies and why the Scottish think we're great, but for all the wrong reasons. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please feel free to subscribe by going to onshot.net and subscribing to either the podcast or even my regular newsletter, which I send out every fortnight to tell you all about what's going on in the world of the Irish primary school system and what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. So let's get on with it and see what has been featuring in the Irish education system. And it's first up is SET allocation. And for those of you who are watching this on video, you'll probably see a very cross looking principle. If you haven't, if you can't see and you're just listening in here, you can be assured that principle is looking very cross indeed and with good reason, because the set allocations for, the, for those of you who don't know what they are, these are the hours given to schools to help children with traditionally called learning support or resource hours. If you're very old, they might be known as remedial. Of course, you don't use that language anymore. But SESH stands for Special Education Teaching. And the allocations are based, uh, basically, every school is allocated a certain number of hours per week, which they can use to uh, have a certain number of teachers to teach the entire caseload of children with additional needs in the school. The definition of what special education uh, needs uh, is these days in 2024 has broadened a lot since this began. It used to be just literacy and numeracy needs, but that's now extended to all sorts of needs, whether they be behavioural needs, emotional needs, sometimes care needs, despite that being the job of special needs assistance, and every single need between that. And I suppose why our principle here is very cross is because the allocations this year have changed and not for the better. Up until 2017, we had a model where children were allocated hours depending on the diagnosis or disability they might have. If they had autism or they would receive five hours per week of extra tuition or extra help. If they had Down syndrome, it was three and a half hours. And around 2012, 2013, Rory Quinn, when he was Minister for Education because of the recession, cut those by 15%. And then in 2017, the set allocation model came about where some weird, strange kind of uh, algorithm, which nobody quite understands and nobody can access because it's protected from freedom of information requests, was given out to every school. And weirdly enough, I don't know how this formula or this algorithm was developed, but almost every school seemed to get roughly the hours they were getting before 2017. What an algorithm that it was so clever to be able to do that based on a number of criteria, which included the child's gen the children's gender. So girls schools weren't getting as many hours as boys schools or mixed schools. Uh, you also had complex needs. You also had uh, literacy and numeracy scores, which, which was a bit scandalous really at the time. It's still a scandalous because we only started sending our standardized test results to the Department of Education in 2011 with the promise that they'd only be used for statistical purposes. And lo and behold, they are now, even back then they were being used for about some of the allocations. Now in 2024, they've been used for about 65% of the allocations 
uh, been given. So they're certainly not being used for statistical purposes. And of course, there were a couple of other variables within the allocation model that they're including, uh, whether you're a disadvantaged status and things like that. But in 2024, so 2017 came along, they were reviewed in 2019, reviewed again in 2022. And essentially what we found out over those years, I did a bit of research on this as did others, but we found that particularly developing schools were being absolutely screwed over. And last week's podcast explored all the statistics around that. So you can have a look at this. We're moving on now because since then the allocations were uh, published and they got rid and they cut, this is again, as always, there's cuts when it comes to special education in Ireland, in the guise of, oh, increases. We've got 1,200 extra teachers. We've got, there's never been any more resource hours being given to children. But in reality, because there are more children with additional needs, it is a cut by stealth. And I guess what really has annoyed most people is the area of complex needs being just simply gone from the allocation. So if you have had a school with lots of children with complex needs, you wouldn't be getting the hours this time for them. So 33% of schools, a third of schools experienced a cut in their allocation this year. And this really has uh, caused a lot of consternation. And uh, a number of uh, agencies uh, have called, have been in touch about this. The National Principals Forum were talking about it and they were talking about the cluster games. And I'll talk about that now in a second. But a principal here in Westmeath, my region is in the Midlands and it's been without a NEP psychologist since 2020, December 2020. Our allocation is insufficient given our school's needs and I feel so frustrated and sorry for the children and their families. And a principal in Roscommon next door were very disappointed that pupils with complex needs were not taken into account in the new model for calculating allocations. And really this uh, press release from uh, the National Principals Forum goes on and on about how awful the system is, ending with Laura Kelly, who's a principal in County Kilkenny, who wrote a very long statement or sentence, but just to summarise it, the list is unending. About This is about our jobs as principals. The list is unending, and yet the department feel it's okay to continue to load on roles and responsibilities to principals. I am utterly overwhelmed. The job is not sustainable. And what Laura was talking about here was something that has become known as the cluster games. Or, as I know it, I don't really have a name for it, except, except for something that's a bit rude. Basically, a shit show. What it is, if you can imagine, every principal is a pigeon. And the Department of Education has tossed out a few breadcrumbs. Basically, when the set allocation hours come out, principals have to fight over uh, the hours to make up clusters. Okay, clusters of 25 hours uh, to make up a full post. So if you're a school with 20 spare hours, allocated, you're desperately looking for another school with five hours to make a marriage. And the, the, the trouble is with this model, and why I call it a shit show rather than the cluster games, although the cluster games is a very good uh, analysis because it is a death match really, is that every school that goes into this is trying to save a teacher, trying to save a teacher from the dreaded panel. And the dreaded panel is basically a safeguard for any permanent teacher who might lose their job due to falling numbers. And they get put on a panel so they can have a permanent job in a school close by. Uh, but principals really don't like losing teachers to the panel. There's lots and lots of reasons why they, they say this is true. Uh, they say that they put, invest a lot of training. They invest a lot into relationships. The uh, person who's there builds up a big relationship with the children. And to lose that person can be a travesty if they become a minor player, let's say, in the marriage. 
But what the, the impact of principles basically fighting over these breadcrumbs in a desperate bid to become the base school is that they will kill each other and they will fight with each other and they will fall out with each other over these hours. And really, it's, it just doesn't work where you have 3,000 schools squabbling over a small amount of resources with no, no way of making it work. I developed, well, I didn't develop it all. A teacher developed with, uh, with a bit of help from me a set cluster guy uh, uh, tool which allows schools to log in and try and find other schools that might match with them. But to be perfectly honest, uh, the, it, it, while, it, while it works really well to a point, it relies on goodwill from principals. And I've argued in one of my blog posts, which I, if you want to read, uh, you'll find it in the show notes, uh, that I don't think principals really, I think what principals do is they leave their principles behind and they are not very kind to each other. It's a real example of the lack of collegiality within the system. The set allocation hours um, pigeon show it really shows me the lack of collegiality within our profession. And I understand why, but it, and I understand the system is designed to do this. But any calls or any ideas that we are collegial with each other are absolutely untrue. I was, I've spoken to, I would say I've spoken to dozens of principals in the last uh, couple of weeks and, and some of them quite upset because, and one in particular is a principal who in, in some other part of the country, I, I won't say where it is, it's not fair, just in case I, I don't want to identify them. But basically, uh, they were just assumed um, that their local, their, their neighbouring schools would form a cluster when, when they looked at the uh, list of schools. The schools within her area, they're small schools. The three of them matched exactly the 25 hours that that person waited uh, after the bank holiday to contact them. And when she rang them, I've given away their gender there, when she rang them, said, oh no, we're sorted. We got sorted after the bank holiday and left her high and dry. That's the kind of stuff that's going on and I, I find it I find it horrible and I don't like it and I don't think we should be engaging in it I think the Department of Education should be dealing with all this sort of stuff I did write a blog post called uh, Spilling the Tea on Set Allocations a Guide for Disillusioned Principles and the idea of that uh, was if you were still looking for hours and there are still and this is we're going to the third week here there's still a lot of principals uh, still looking for hours looking on the, for the scavenger hunt and I shared the app that was done by uh, Dark Onion, who's the person who made the tool. And you can have a look at that. And I've given some ideas of what you can possibly do. Because when you've been really screwed over by your neighbours or by, your other, by other principals who just go off and do their own thing, I just think this, these little tips here might help you. One of them is do nothing. Just let the department sort out your problem. I, I, I think after... I think if you've made a good stab of it, you need to let the Department of Education sort your problems out. And they do and they can and I've done it. And it really does work out. You may end up with a part-time teacher. You may even end up uh, finding a cluster somewhere that might work for you uh, that you didn't realise. But it will work out. Uh, and my advice for you was when you've finished hating your, uh, your, fellow, your fellow principals and getting, and getting over the dabda of the disillusionment of uh, this whole thing, you might just consider accepting the fact that this is an awful thing. Maybe joining me in my quest to principals to stop engaging in this nonsense. To be honest, I don't think people are going to. The other uh, thing that's come out of this, uh, as I said, was the allocation model losing the cluster hours. And a few statements came out about that. The National Principals Forum, as I said, came out criticising the fact that they've cut complex needs, which has made lots of 33% of schools lose a significant amount of hours. The charity Inclusion Ireland 
has also I said they're absolutely disturbed by uh, the fact that this has happened. And I also was in the newspaper, the Irish Examiner, uh, about the allocation of special education teachers, which is wholly inadequate in my view. So really, a lot of news in special education teaching world. I'm, I have to say it's been an absolute uh, shambles and it still remains an absolute shambles and very upsetting for uh, principals around the country who just couldn't find a partner. And, and the people that are most disadvantaged this are inexperienced principals, new principals who haven't built up these networks, who, ca- who, aren't, who actually trust the system still to be fair and nice and good. And obviously, the other people you feel very sorry for, and most importantly, uh, one should say, are the children who are basically getting fewer resources for their increasing needs. And it really is a shambles. And I think I've ranted enough about that. I've In the newsletter, I've linked several articles around the set allocation, criticism around it. I have yet to meet a school that's happy with the allocations. Let's move on and uh, see where, where, where we're going next. We are moving on to something called gifting schools. What though? And here it is. How much money is being gifted to religious bodies by the Irish state? I don't know. M- many people who listen to this uh, know that I am someone who believes there should be a complete separation of church and state. Uh, the reason I believe that, as many people know, is because when the, when a private body runs a school, whether that's a religious body or not religious body, their ethos has to permeate throughout the school day. And the impact of that in 90%, in actually 96% of cases, is that is a religious ethos. And in 90% of cases, it's the Catholic Church. And in 5% of cases, it's the Church of Ireland. So there's a Christian ethos in about 95 to 96% of schools, which means that throughout the day of every school day, Jesus is in the room with you. And some of you might not think that's a bad thing, but for someone who does not worship Jesus, it's entirely um, best inconvenient uh, and maybe just annoying, really, that uh, every so every, it feels every five minutes you're having to worship someone that you don't believe in, you don't believe, you don't believe his message. And I suppose if you're a teacher in these schools, you probably might not believe in God yourself. Yet, you're expected to be a missionary. And if you don't, if you're not a missionary for the Catholic Church, because you are a missionary when you work in a Catholic primary school or in a Church of Ireland school or any religious school, you have to impart the word of your religion onto the children. It's part, if you're in a Catholic school, you must pass on the word of Jesus. And I know a lot of the Catholic people out there, the people who represent Catholic bodies, say, no, we're only inviting the children to uh, take part in the Catholic faith. I don't want an invitation. I'm not. And children aren't looking for an invitation to the Catholic faith if their parents are not raising them as Catholics. And it's really not, it's not okay to be inviting people who aren't Catholic into the Catholic faith. It, I, I just can't, it's, I can't think of an analogy, but because it's such a bizarre thing, why would anyone think it's okay to uh, try and try and convert children uh, in a public school? It just makes no sense. People probably don't see it that way because it's so normalised. 99.7% of teachers in Ireland, as I often say, are white and Irish. And those that are, uh, 95% of them are Christian. So a lot of this stuff is invisible to uh, these people who don't think they're being missionaries. Sure, it's only a few prayers and sure, what harm? And 
Sure, we're very inclusive. We allow children into the school, don't we? And sure, if they're sitting at the back of the class, what are and all that kind of nonsense that go on. Now, the Catholic Church have survived a, a, a huge amount, I would suggest. For example, uh, the big one, really, they've survived systematic sexual abuse of children and they're still allowed to run schools. And I have nearly given up on thinking, how can we? And I'm not, I've nothing against Catholics at all. If, if people celebrate um, their faith in any way, shape or form, that's absolutely up to them. And I, I have no problem with people celebrating a faith of any sort. But I don't think the institution of the church should be running schools. Forget the sexual abuse because it's so emotive and people will excuse it in all sorts of different ways. But this is something that I came across that I thought was just amazing. How much uh, that the amount of money that's been gifted by the state to religious bodies. And in this article where I basically did a freedom of information request, finding out how much money does the state spend on capital school projects of building school buildings, they build the schools, and then they basically give the building to the Catholic Church or to the church body for with few conditions, certainly no conditions that uh, no, no conditions of any merit. I actually asked what were the conditions for handing it over as if they'd be something interesting, but they're all just building related, they're construction related. They can do whatever they like and they do. What they like is they use them as missionaries. They use them as, some will call them indoctrination centres if they want to be emotive, but I would say they're faith-forming institutions, which they are, of course, the idea of a Catholic school and the only difference between a Catholic school and a school that is not Catholic is the form of forming of faith. So if you go to a Jewish school, the idea would be that you would uh, be for, you would have faith formation in the Jewish faith. And the difference between that and a Catholic school is you would have faith formation in a Catholic faith. So like that's the only difference. Everything else is the same. But for whatever reason, despite, and I, I mentioned the National Maternity Hospital in, the, uh, in this uh, article, because if you remember, look back to the National Maternity Hospital scandal, I guess, basically the department or the, the state wanted to build a new maternity hospital and they were going to build them on the grounds of St. Vincent's Hospital, which is owned by the Sisters of Charity. And the idea was that they would build this uh, hospital, I think it was going to cost 2 billion euro, although I could be wrong on that figure. Once that happened, they were going to effectively give the building to the nuns on a lease basis so that they would pay a nominal fee every year uh, for the building. But at the end of the lease, the building would belong to the nuns. And this made people really cross. And people, thousands of people took to the streets about it because they were afraid and they were about this arrangement. Uh, they didn't really, I, I don't know if they minded the money. I think they did a bit, but they had, con what they said was the con there were concerns about possible external interference in the operation of the hospital. Because you would think they would look at schools and say, because school buildings are gifted back to the state and religious interference certainly happens. But that wasn't their thing. They just, I think, to be honest with you, I think they have a problem with the nuns. And if I think they were handing them to priests, I don't know how many people have been out, out, out and about. I think Ireland has a very odd relationship with, with the Catholic Church in terms of they, they seem to really dislike nuns in particular. And I don't know why that is. And maybe I'm wrong um, on that. But there was a big thing about, if you see some of the posters in the article I've linked to, and the thing, there's lots of signs that are very disparaging about nuns that you probably wouldn't see if it was generally about the Catholic Church. But I don't know. I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit mad. What I think about whenever I see a school being built is I just think there's another few million euro gone to the Vatican. And essentially, that's what happens. The building, the, when the Department of Education build a building on the school land, the, the, the state don't own 
the uh, school it is gifted to the diocese which is a bit mad in my estimation so I wanted to find out how much it was and the figure is roughly 500 million euro in the last five years so every year it's about 100 million euro on average that is just gifted in buildings to the to religious bodies people might say to me oh what about educate together and what about the other they don't own any of the buildings it's only church bodies that own buildings and also, I suppose, I didn't include like the capitation grant that's given to keep, not only did the Department of Education, sorry, give the buildings over, they also um, heat them and light them and keep them uh, and upkeep them. Uh, it's bizarre. It's like someone building me, uh, building a house. Okay. So the builder builds a house. I say, I'd like to live there. And they say, okay, here you go. There's a house for free. And I go, Thank you very much. That's great. Uh, I, 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 can you just pass me on the ESB there so I can pay? Oh, no, you don't have to pay any of the bills in that house. We're paying them for you. Ah, OK, OK. And do I have to do anything? Oh, no, you don't have to do anything at all, actually. So in fact, if you have a religious belief, you can insist that anyone that comes into your house must pray. Ah, OK, I, I, that, that sounds great. And, and what happens if I decide that I, I want to leave my house and, and go somewhere else. Ah, yes, don't, don't, don't worry, Simon. We will rent, we will pay rent to you for that. That's what I'm, it's really weird. And I can't understand it. And madly enough, I put this out online. Madly enough, people were defending it, like defending it, like, and calling me a bigot because I was questioning it. If I wasn't, I, I nearly regret not saying, like, the state was, funding McDonald's in the same way because there is a film there about McDonald's how they became how they became but they bought all the land or where the restaurants were being built and then just basically claimed the restaurants it was very it was a really good film if you haven't seen it I can't think of the name of it but it's essentially the same model I wish I, I really wish I had have started that whole thing saying oh my gosh can you believe it that the state is basically funding McDonald's restaurants they're building McDonald's restaurants and gifting the building to McDonald's but anyway I didn't uh, had I have, I am assuming people would have been very upset about it. But because it's the Catholic Church, people seem to keep take that very differently. I tried to explain on Twitter because I was getting the same questions over and over again and being called anti this, anti that and all the rest of it. And I came to the conclusion that I probably can't, I'm not going to get through to people on this one. I'm not going to succeed. I, I feel I, I could be, I don't think I'm wrong on this that there's this sort of cognitive dissonance for uh, most Irish people when it comes to the Catholic Church. I always give the example of Sean Moncrief, who wrote an article in the Irish Times about how he ticked no religion in the census box, but he was going to allow his daughter make her communion. And his reasoning was because he isn't anti-Catholic, as if that's the only reason children wouldn't make their communion. I also gave other examples, uh, and, and one of them was, I'm not going to mention his name because... But I basically mentioned this other politician who basically was at the protests at the National Maternity Hospital and, taught, and he spoke quite publicly about how, his, how he doesn't want his, how, how his daughter was born on, the, on a referendum day, I think it was the, the abortion referendum, and how he, he was talking about like how he'd hoped that she sees a world of equality away from the interference of the Catholic Church and blah, 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 blah. And then, and then in the same article, wrote about how he sends her to a Catholic school because I can't even remember the excuse. And anyway, I pointed that one out as well. And he actually, <laughs> very bizarre, 
he he actually messaged me then calling me disgraceful and disgusting and then started slagging me off because I pay for my Twitter account. I, I felt like I was a 15 year old in school and the, the schoolyard bully was coming on to it's not the first uh, mad interaction I've had with this particular politician. I certainly have questioned uh, him on a number of occasions and, and he, so much so that I suppose I, I, I was probably became annoying. So he, he blocked me on Twitter because I kept annoying him over a, a thing he did when he was in government. And I was never abusive. I just kept pointing out the fact that when he was giving out about something, he could have actually solved the problem when he was in government and didn't and chose not to. And the reason he didn't uh, do it wasn't because he couldn't. It was for another reason. And I'm, I'm getting more and more tense to reveal the reason why, as time goes on, as nasty as he's being, I'm, I can't, I have to admit, I lost a little bit of sleep over it because I felt intimidated by him. Anyway, he unblocked me for... 10 minutes to hurl mad stuff at me and then consequently block me out. Anyway, it sounds, I sound like I'm in school. It's so immature. I, I, I sometimes, I find social media, it can infantilize you a little bit when you're trying to make adult conversations. You end up having people throw childish nonsense at you. Anyway, enough about my spats with TDs. Let's move on to the final story, which I love. And this is a brilliant one. It's why Scottish people think we're great. I found uh, this story. Uh, it was in a Scottish newspaper. Why are Irish kids so far ahead of Scottish pupils? It's in this, uh, the P&J, I think, which is the Scottish news website of the year. This is a great story. I love it. It makes me uh, remember like the obsession with Finland that we all had for a number of years. I suppose we still do. We have a lot to learn from the Finns, but we have a lot to learn from lots of other countries as well. But the Scots are basically looking uh, why Irish kids uh, are so far ahead of Scottish pupils and they're focusing entirely on the PISA scores because I don't know how we do it. Uh, I'd love to know the secret myself. We seem to perform really well in the PISA tables despite the huge underinvestment in the education system. So this journalist uh, tried to find out what that reason was. And do you know what he did? Rather than asking maybe people in the Irish education system. I thought he might go to the Minister for Education or a spokesperson. No, instead what he did is he found Irish people living in Scotland and asked them, their parents, they're not educators or anything like that. Maybe they are educators. I don't think they were though. But they go on anyway. She starts off by saying how great we are at rugby compared to Scotland. Uh, and that's another question that could be asked. Why are we so good at rugby uh, for such a small country? And I suppose you could, might look at the education system in a different way for that. But let's stick to the script here. But geez, I'm, I'm here almost analysing rugby. I don't think I could name two rugby players, if you ask me. I'd say my rugby knowledge is only dwarfed by my uh, lack of knowledge on GAA. Anyway, let's see what Scottish people think about the Irish education system. One per Well, one person decided that teachers are much more respected than Scottish teachers. Now, if you look at any headlines in the newspapers over the last few years, you will find that I would say that is probably not true and probably not why we do so well in PISA scores. And so an interesting analysis and less assessment. I do think that is true. We do have less assessment, but so do the Finns and so do quite a lot of uh, highly regarded countries. And maybe, and maybe, that's, maybe I'll give her one uh, point for that. I think that's fair enough. I, I thought one of the sentences there wasn't very fair here. Teachers are not respected in the same way in Scotland. Therefore, very capable students don't go into teaching. I don't know. It's a bit harsh. I think there's still a lot of people who want to go into teaching. I think teaching is a respected profession, even in Scotland. 
and Ireland. I'd say as much respected. Maybe. I don't know. They think anyway that the, the whole system in Scotland has to change. Uh, but this is the one that I thought was interesting. It was our parents. Parents basically take the responsibility for the child's education. Now, now there's, a, there's two ways of looking at that. The first way is in the constitution. Parents have a right to choose whatever school they want to send their child to. And they are the first educator. Now, I don't really think that in, in practice makes very much of a difference to anyone. I think all that does is it complicates our education system. It actually makes our education system work. I think we could have an even better education system if we didn't have the system we have, which is so fractured, as we've seen from the set allocation model and things like that. And I actually think our, I think we're going to find ourselves going down the PISA tables because of the way we're treating children with additional needs and the way we're treating migrants, the way we're treating, we, I suppose, as we become a less homogenous society and we become, we're a less homogenous society for quite some time. But as we become even less and less homogenous, I can see by doing nothing, by treating our migrants and by teaching our children with additional needs with contempt, I would say, I think we're going to find ourselves slipping down. But they basically say it's all about higher support, higher respect for teachers. I just, I don't get that. I don't think so. And the other thing which I thought was bizarre, uh, probably the funniest of them all, was we've had a taste of prosperity. For the Irish people, we had the Celtic Tiger. So we know what it's like to uh, get a good education and therefore be rich as a result of it. So we're, then as the Celtic Tiger has passed, we're, we will continue uh, to aspire to being, uh, to be back to those Celtic Tigers. So basically education equals money. It's a bizarre kind of a conclusion. I don't know. Where it's, they said we had a taste of the money and suddenly we're in a bit of a decline and the bubble burst. But in Ireland, because we've had that taste of what life could be, kids are more driven to succeed. Now, I don't know how much of this is true. In fact, I don't think any of it is really true at all. I honestly don't know why Ireland is the... I mean, I think, I, I tell you, I'll make my educated guess as to why Ireland has is highly performing the PISA results. And I think it's actually because of our autonomy. I think we trust our teachers and I, I think whether we respect them or not, I think we trust them. We trust that they're doing a good job. I also think that we, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, even though it's going to sound negative, I think we over-teach literacy, uh, particularly. We also, I don't know if we over-teach numeracy, but we over-teach literacy to a point that, and we teach it in such a way that suits the PISA tests. I don't think, I think if we taught it in a different way, we might score lower in the PISA scores, but we might actually, a PISA is a limited sort of a test. And I, I think when you see who's number one in there, and that's one of the Korean, Korean Republic, I think is number one, or is it Singapore? But it's definitely a, a country where you wouldn't want an education system like that, where you have 30 plus children crammed into a room and crammed teaching them all the time. There are the schools that are succeeding the most. And I don't know, I prefer to have a system that succeeds for different reasons. I think maybe we're good at relationships uh, naturally. Maybe that's something that we're, we bring into our schools. But look, I'm as bad as these parents in this article making these guesses, really. And I, I suppose what I should be doing is leaving them to the experts. But as I said, I think uh, it's great that they think we're great. I have a taste of what people in Finland must feel when the Irish were going over saying, my goodness, what's it like to be a teacher in Finland? Well, the Scottish want to learn from us and they're very welcome to come over here, but they'll have to get 
back into the EU so they can do those Erasmus things. What a pity Brexit uh, happened for them. Eek. Anyway, that are there the three things I, uh, three stories I wanted to bring to your attention. The set allocations gifting schools to the various church bodies and why the Scottish people think we're great. And if you are interested in reading more of my thoughts, uh, you should subscribe to my newsletter. And you can do that by going to onshaw.net slash subscribe. This podcast as well is available on all your favourite podcasting platforms. And I would love to hear your thoughts. And you can contact me at simon at onshaw.net. Or if you're on Twitter still, I think there are people are leaving their draws. I'm, I probably will too at some point. If, if you do, I'm still there anyway. And you can DM me and I'd be happy to chat. Or you can join in the conversation if you wish. That's it for me for this week. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with more news from the uh, Irish education system. And I look forward to talking to you then. All the very best. Bye bye. <laughs>